I know that uh, Dennis and Tiffany's story is a lot like so many in Houston. One of the things they told me and why I asked them to share that, we were out in the lobby and they said, it was so amazing how we realized we actually have a family as community of faith gathered around us and over and over and over community of faith was there for us and it gave us the courage to be there for other people and we began to see what really was important and what really counted. You know, when times get confusing, it's time to get back to basics. And God even allows crisis sometimes in our lives so he can pull us back to what really counts, what's really going to last, what's really going to matter. And basically Jesus, when he was asked, what is going to last, what's going to matter, what's the most important thing about this life, he said really just two things are important, love God and love each other. I want you to pull out your sermon notes with me because we've been talking about that for a little while. And so let's look at what Jesus said there in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, here's what's the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you did these two things, you would be doing everything that the Bible asks you to do. And that's an amazing thing that Jesus is telling us here. What if the church is supposed to look like what happened in the midst of Hurricane Harvey with all of the tragedy, but at the same time, as we were there for each other, as we reached out, as we were a true family together, as we broke basically the national narrative of the media that says that we as the United States are so divided and we can't even be there for each other, we gathered in Houston as a family together during that and we saw that together. What if the church is always supposed to show that? And so last week we talked about if, if these are the only two things that really matter, how do we do them? And we talked last week about how to love God and you remember I, I closed out by using the, the verse in the very last book of the Bible in Revelation that Jesus is saying, behold I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and, and, and we'll fellowship, we'll dine together actually is what it says, we'll eat together. And, and I talked to you about how that verse has been one of the most uh, misused verses in all of the Bible because we always use it like he's knocking on your heart door if you don't know him yet but in that passage he's talking to the church and he's saying hey church it, you've left me on the outside you've left me kind of around, around the corner and I'm, I'm knocking I want you to let me into your life and just that we can be together and walk together and I'm going to do some amazing things in your life if you will let me do that and remember how the assignment, if you were here last weekend, the assignment was to set the alarm on your watch or on your smartphone or whatever you needed to do to several times during the day remind yourself as the alarm goes off that Jesus is there, that he's knocking and, and invite him into this moment in your life. I was talking last night 
to one of our Saturday night attenders, Teresa, and she said, I actually did that, and she said, my whole life was different this week. I actually programmed my phone went to, to about five times a day, just go off, but when it went off, it would say, Jesus is knocking, which I thought was pretty interesting. I hadn't thought about like actually having it. Jesus is knocking. She said, the first time it happened, I was on the phone to my mom, and we had gotten in a big fight, and it was so frustrating, and I just hung up the phone, and I said, I can't do this anymore, and all of a sudden said, Jesus is knocking. And she said, I just stopped right there and invited him in, even into that relationship that had so much turmoil in it. And she said, it was amazing what Jesus did. And the impact that he made. And she said it just kept happening like that. It was always in these crazy moments. And, and I felt like life's out of control. I felt like I can't do this. And Jesus was knocking again. And I realized, Mark, he's always knocking. And I'm not paying attention. And she said as I invited him in to my life, everything began to make sense. Everything began to work. And it's, it, it, she didn't say it was, it, it was like all of a sudden everything turned around and everything was perfect, like the relationship was perfect. But she said, I, I had a peace in the midst of even the most turmoil, the times that, 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 that brought the most turmoil. I had peace in the midst of that. What we're going to talk about today, that's how to love God. Last week, if you missed it, go back and pick that up because it's real important that We know how to do that because it travels right into what Jesus is saying, how to love each other. And what we're going to find is that they tie in together so strongly that that you're not even going to be able to hardly believe it. So let's look at how to love each other. How do we do this? How do we love God? How do we love each other? In the passage we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 13, it's... The night before the crucifixion and they're having what we've come to know as the last supper. It's the most important supper that's probably ever been eaten. Uh, It's some of the most important words spoken, events happening that have ever happened in the history of, uh, of this planet. And the Bible starts out, John in his gospel writing, he says Jesus was deeply troubled he knew what was coming and then he says to the 12 disciples sitting around the table with him one of you will betray me and they're all stunned and shocked and they all go around me is it is it I is it am I the one they 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 even were questioning themselves because they couldn't imagine any one of them betraying him and John is right beside Jesus And he kind of leans over next to him and just right up against his ear, he says, Jesus, who is it? And Jesus answers softly, apparently, so that only John can hear. He said, it's the one who I give this bread to. And he dips the bread in the cup and he hands it to Judas. Now, the others apparently hadn't heard because then Jesus says to Judas, what you're doing, do it quickly and Judas gets up probably knocks his chair back and over and and because he's so surprised that Jesus knows exactly what's going on and he gets out of the room as fast as 
he can. And the others are confused. That's why we know they didn't hear this part. Because they think, well, he's the treasure of our little group. Maybe, maybe he went out to do something. That's what John's gospel tells us. But John knows. He heard. And his world is shaken. And his mind is blown. And the very next thing, having set in motion his betrayal... The very next thing that Jesus says, and this is where we pick up the story. So open that little worship folder that you have there. Your sermon notes are in there. You can turn to John 13 in your Bible if you would like. Up on the screen we'll have the notes too. Verse 31, John says this. Therefore, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. At the darkest hour of his life, Jesus is saying, that's when I'm going to shine most brightly with the glory of God. Now realize John is writing and all of the disciples are around and only John knows what's going on. And as he's watched Jesus give the bread to Judas, he's thinking, no, not Judas. He's, he's the most trusted of us. We trusted him with the money uh, uh, of our little group. I mean, he was the treasurer. And all these three years, whoa, what's... And suddenly for John, it's, it's like this, there's this tremendous mind shift. A shift of perspective. Have you ever had that with someone? You, you thought you knew them. You thought you knew who they were. And then suddenly something is revealed about them. Or, or some action that they take. And, and it doesn't make sense with what you thought you knew. And there's this profound revelation. And everything shifts in the way that you see them. One of my good friends, he, he had a really loved pastor who was his mentor. And he found out at one point that that pastor who he loved so dearly had been having an affair for 22 years and it was like his mind he said he couldn't grasp it there was like this shift in his mind but it was also like ah that explains some things that I didn't understand and John's probably thinking that that explains why Judas was so mad when Mary poured out that expensive perfume on Jesus feet and he said that's wasted She should have given that to me and I could have sold it. And we could have given the money to the poor. He wasn't going to give the money to the poor. He was going to pilfer it. He was going to use it. Take some of it for himself like he had been doing all along. So he begins to see this this different perspective. This shift is going on in John's mind. He's just watched the betrayal set in motion. He's just watched one of his friends totally become something other than what he thought and he just heard Jesus say the most confusing unexplainable thing as Judas leaves the room he says now my glory comes what the next thing John hears out of the mouth of Jesus is this verse 33 and this is so profound in John's life that he spends the rest of his life really in this place Because it changed everything for him. Jesus says in verse 33 of John 13. Little children. I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. 
And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Little children, I'm leaving. Up until now, the, the, the test, the mark of your discipleship has been that you follow me. If I go to Galilee, you tag along after me. If I go to Jerusalem, you tag along with me. But I'm leaving. And from now on, how people will know that you're my disciple, not that you'll tag along with me because they can't see me. They'll know that you're mine by how you love each other. Jesus said, little children love one another. And this became like the, 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 the signifying mark of, uh, of how John addressed the church in all of his letters, in all of his sermons. This moment was so important in the life of John that it, it shaped all the rest of his life and ministry. The little Greek word used for little children, technion here. It's only used here in all of the, I mean, there's plenty of words in Greek for children, and this is one of them, but it, other words are used every other time, only technion right here and seven times in John's letters, first and second and third John, little children, technion. So you can see that it, it was important to him. Church tradition, which is outside of the Bible, but I think this is probably one of those that's pretty accurate. You never know for sure when there's a tradition passed down. But church tradition says that John, when he was a very old man, you realize he outlived the rest of the apostles by probably 30 years or more. Because he was the only one that wasn't martyred. The rest of them were killed. Young men killed for their faith in Jesus. Beheaded and crucified and boiled in oil. All these different ways that the first apostles were killed and martyred. But John, he lived out his days. He'd been exiled for a while, but he came back. And tradition of the church says that when he was old in his 90s, they would bring him in when he was very feeble. They would bring him in to the little churches on, on a pallet. And he would prop himself up on one elbow with all the strength that he had and call out in an old man voice, little children, love one another and that was his whole sermon he would lay back down he was done they would carry him off and that would be the service that day and it was profound because this was Jesus disciple and so really when you read this first letter uh, of John that that he writes he writes his gospel and then he writes many years later first second third John when you discover this little letter it, it's simply an unfolding a sermon about this profound moment at the Last Supper. In fact, in First and Second John is the only place that we see the words new commandment, except here, where Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, that the words for new commandment are only used there in all of Scripture. And so what First John is written to help us understand the newness of the new commandment and to enlighten us to what Jesus meant when he said, by this will all men know that you're my real disciples. That you really know me. That you're mine. That you've been given a new heart. 
How will they know? Not because you go to church. Not because you come to church and you feel, oh, wow, I feel something. You know? Emotions are good. But that's not how you know. How you know the fruit of it, the evidence of it is if you love each other. The evidence of your attachment to Jesus is do you really love each other? So what is it about loving each other that enables you to know this about yourself and others? To know if someone's really a believer or not? I think the answer comes when we are able to answer, so what is new about the new commandment? Jesus said a new commandment I give you, but the command to love your neighbor, the command to love each other, that's, that was all the way back in the book of Le- Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, it says love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that doesn't seem very new, that's thousands of years old. So what is new? I think most people in the church today have thought the newness is Jesus' model about how to do it. I mean, he just has stepped out of heaven and humbled himself to become a man, which you can't even imagine what that cost him. And then he's just finished, before he says this, he's just finished washing the disciples' feet, which is like what the lowliest servant would do. And he said, just like I've done, I want you to do. And so we would say, this is what Jesus is trying to say. The newness of it is that we, he modeled how to love for us and we're to imitate his model for us on how to love each other. But if that's what you think, you would be wrong. That's not what's new about the new commandment. In fact, I believe imitation is, is a very dangerous way to limit the Christian life. I was looking at, at, at some of John Piper's writings on this and, and, and he's got some amazing insight into, into 1 John. You see, I think imitation has its place but if you think that's all Jesus is saying is just, I showed you how to love, now imitate me. Then the newness of the new model is just an imitation model and that would be wrong. So what is the answer? Well, let's let John answer for us. He's the one that was with Jesus here. He heard this originally. Some many years later, he penned a whole letter about what exactly this meant. So let's move over to 1 John, and you find it close to the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7. What is new about the new commandment, John? What is it? And he tells us in verse 7 of 1 John 2, beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard way back in Leviticus, remember? On the other hand, verse 8, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true. In him and in you, it's true and it's new. And here's why it's new and true. Are you ready? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. That's why it's new. The light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. This true light, it's the beginning of the promise that we find in the book of Isaiah that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the 
waters cover the sea. When the Messiah comes, he's going to bring glory and light and a new kingdom and banish darkness and sin. And what Jesus is saying, what John is saying that Jesus meant was that it's already here. The darkness is already passing away. It's dying. It's passing away. The darkness is dying. The light is already shining. See, what you thought was coming at the end of time, it's already here. It's already burst on the scene. It's already beginning. Verse 9, he says, the one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Now again, you know he's using the generic masculine here, ladies. This is for all of us. If we say we abide in the light but we hate someone, a brother or sister, we're not in the light. We're still in the darkness. So if you love your brother or sister, you abide in the light. Well, I want to abide in the light, so I need to love my brother or sister. That will enable me to abide in the light. That's not what he's saying. Again, we have to really understand the nuance of it. He's saying, if you already abide in the light, if you're in the light, you're going to love each other. If you're already in the light, you're not going to be able to help it Part of being in the light is being a new creation. And part of being the new creation is having the power of God inside of you to love each other. And you're going to love each other. Loving each other is just evidence. It's the proof that you're in the light. There's one other time that John talked about this commandment. And let's go back to his gospel just for a minute. So that we can really put this together and wrap this up. The other time that Jesus talked about loving each other was in John chapter 15. And let's look at it. This is still that same night. You know, I told you last week that when they ate together, they would stay together for a long time. Well, this is an ongoing conversation that just keeps on going. It's many chapters in John. In fact, a good portion of John is dedicated to this last night of Jesus. And what they do and where they go and especially what Jesus says he gives us lots of insight into what Jesus says as he sticks right by him but Jesus goes on in John 15 just a little bit later saying verse 9 just as the father has loved me I have also loved you abide in my love abide that there's that word abide again abide to make yourself at home in to find abode in to stay at home in to live in, to walk in. You see, we're not copying Jesus. We're staying connected to Jesus. It goes back to that First John chapter 2. If you abide in the light, if you're connected to Jesus, you're going to love each other. It's still that last night before the crucifixion. Jesus has been given this illustration. He said this. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. And I want you to stay connected to me because as you are grafted into me and you stay connected to me there's going to be this power that moves through you you see he doesn't say hey I'm Jesus I'm the vine and you're a branch there dead lifeless laying on the ground and 
I'm just oozing with love for you, so copy me the best that you can, dead and lifeless, little branch on the ground, and, and, and just try to copy me, and, and, and that's the new commandment. No, that's not the new commandment. That's not Christianity. He's saying, I'm getting ready to do something. I'm going to die on the cross. See, the cross is inexplicable to so many people. They, they can't understand why... Why the cross? I don't understand it. But somehow, when Jesus died on the cross, he opened up the opportunity for us to be adopted into God's family, but even more than adopted. It's like we're grafted onto the vine. We're, we're, We're actually grafted onto the life of God, that we begin to have the new creation, the spirit of God inside of us that gives life to our mortal body, the Bible says. And so when we step into what Jesus did on the cross by saying, I accept it, I receive it, that gift that you gave me on the cross, I want to be one of your sons, one of your daughters, he actually makes us part of himself in that sense. He grafts us on so that we can have life flowing through us. And he says, as you connect to me and are connected to me, the new light of my kingdom is already shining in this dark place. The dark world around you. As you stay connected to me, you're going to have this unexplainable love for each other. And that was the whole reason for the cross. As my life flows through you, you will love each other. Judas was with us all these three years. And he followed around everywhere. And he did everything that the rest of you did. And he even went around and preached. Miracles happen. But he wasn't attached. And so he didn't love. He wasn't mine. He wasn't grafted on. And in the end, it was known that he was not mine. So community of faith. Hear Jesus saying, little children, my little children my little sons and daughters this morning I'm calling you to stay grafted into me what we talked about last week how do you abide you have to walk with spend time with that same thing that 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 same homework that I gave where it was like remember to let Jesus in he's knocking let him in let him walk with you let him be with you Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you let what I say and my principles and my words get down deep inside of you, then God's going to do miracles with you and life is going to happen. We're going to lay down our lives for each other. We're going to love each other across, across all racial lines. We're going to Show the world something different as we care for the least of these in the world that no one else cares about across this planet. We're going to show something different to the world as, as we love the weakest and the oldest and the youngest and the different and the weird. And love covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. Jesus in verse 10 of John 15 says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, 
Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, let them come down deep inside of you. And I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be made full. I want you to be so full of joy. This is what life is all about. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Laura mentioned that we were praying for Marco Monroy and Karina, his wife, our pastors in, in Cancun. And, and, you know, when we were missionaries in, in Mexico City all, all of that time, there was a, a, a strange time at the very end of our time when we felt like, and, and our mission board asked us if we would go to Cancun, and we thought, that's a weird place for missionaries, you know. And we did take a lot of flack, you know. Because it was like, oh, suffering for Jesus in Cancun, right? <laughs> so we'd been in Mexico City for about seven or eight years. And we went to Cancun for the last year that we were there in Mexico. Because, and we found it to be a place that was wide open. And we found some new young believers that had just stepped into relationship with God. One of them was Marco Monroy. Yeah, he, he became a believer as an adult. He, he hadn't ever walked with God before. And... It was so interesting because we were only there like nine or ten months. And at the end of that time as I left, I said, Marco, you're the new pastor. And he goes, what? I said, you're the pastor. You're the one God wants to be the pastor of this church as we go back to Houston. And we'll start a sister church to walk along beside you. And, and, And he was just stunned. But his dad, Enrique, and most of his family, they weren't believers but Marco, man, he was on fire for God. He, he started walking with God. He started spending time with God. And, and he, especially as he stepped into that role as pastor, because he said, I'm going to be the worst pastor in the history of the world. He, he said, I, don't, I said, all you have to do is be a few weeks ahead of your people so you can lead them. And so he walked with God. I mean, he spent time with God. His dad, Enrique, was up probably, I don't know, late 50s at this time, 60 not a believer, and Marco, because his life changed so much, Enrique stepped into a relationship with God, and so did his mom, and so did a couple of his sisters, one of his brothers. His family began to turn around, but Enrique, this older man, I've never seen anyone like him. I mean, he started walking with God after a whole lifetime of not knowing God, and he became like the biggest encourager in the whole church. One of the reasons why the church grew so big was because Enrique knew everybody in Cancun. He'd been around there for a long time and he would go out and he would just tell everybody how God had changed him and what was going on. And people go like, that guy is different. I mean, than he used to be, you know? And he was hilarious. He had the, the coolest sense of humor. And he passed away. I think it was Friday. You know where they found him? He was on his knees beside his bed. He had gotten down in prayer and he hadn't been feeling very good for a while. They just had his parents like 60th wedding anniversary and Marco said I think he must have just been waiting for all of us to get back together because they came from all over wherever they were. The whole family got back together. But on Friday morning he got down on his knees like he did every morning to pray for his family and to pray for that little church and to pray for God to be working in the lives of his friends and 
That's where they found him. He was on his knees beside his bed. He had passed away. And I thought, you know what? That's the, that's the picture. Because this guy loved people like I've never seen anyone love people. But he walked with God like, like that. Not because he was superhuman. I mean, he didn't even come to Christ till he's like 60 years old. But he walked with Jesus every day. And you could see it. And you could feel it. And you just knew it. I mean, when Enrique was around, you just were loved and accepted. He didn't, I mean, he, he, he was just there for you no matter what. Because pretty much he had lived it all, you know. He had done it all. And Jesus had accepted him. And he never got over that. And see, that's my dream for you. That we would never get over what he's done for us. And as we hear him knocking every moment of every day if we're a believer. And we invite him into that moment that his supernatural love. Because that's what he does. He's just a lover of people. And that he would love out through us. It would just happen. And just a word of warning. If there's someone in your life that you can't forgive... You're in the darkness. You're not a believer yet. Now, some of you have convinced yourself you can't, and the truth is you just won't. You are a believer, and you can, and this is going to be the day that you do it because you choose. You know, forgiveness is not a feeling, right? You know that. Forgiveness is an action that we take. Forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. It's giving God the power to do what he said. Vengeance is mine. I will repay no, you're going like, no, vengeance is mine. I, well, you're not God. It's gonna eat. He said that you want to take that on, it'll eat you up from the inside out because you're trying to be God. It's just going to eat you up. Just eat your innards out. Why don't you let me be God? So just give them over to me and release them to me.